Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. Thanks, you guys, for joining us this mm-hmm. week. My name is Clay Wright, and I'm back once again with Jim Minling. <laughs> Glad to be here. I missed you guys last week. We missed you too. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great to have you uh, back. I, I loved um, hearing your sermon this Sunday. I, I told you earlier today, I, I really appreciated the sermon, just the way you were um, walking through. And I feel like pulling so much right out of the text. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, you know, my my kind of preaching. Is, yeah. I, I just felt like so much of it was just falling right out. Yeah, as you there's were so much through. there. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot for us to talk about, yeah. right? Because yeah. we're, if this is your first time with the cutting room floor, the whole idea of this podcast is to go deeper into that text from mm-hmm. Sunday mm-hmm. and to continue that conversation that we started. Uh, because a lot of teaching happens best in the context of a dialogue. Mm-hmm. And so on a, on a Sunday, it can be difficult to have a dialogue with, you know, 300 people in a room. But now uh, in this podcast setting, we get to kind of slow down and look back. So we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, mm-hmm. and we've come out of the healing of the paralytic when Jesus makes this remarkable, to use your words, Jim, this well, remarkable no, statement. Not my word. It's Luke's word. Oh, that's it, right. It's verse 26. <laughs> so, yeah, so Jesus... Extraordinary. Uh, remarkable. Yeah. Jesus asks this question of the Pharisees, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Yeah. Um, and then that, that sort of... Uh, segues into or gets us into the pericope for this last week, which was the calling of Levi, the tax collector. But before we get there, uh, can you tell us a little bit more um, about the soundtrack series in general? You know, what okay. what struck you about this question that Jesus asked? Yeah. And I know you did get into this on Sunday, but could you tell us a little bit more about when you were first thinking about this series? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's always a challenge. The The New Testament was not written to be preached in little mini-series. Uh, so the first time I started uh, preaching through a book, and you know, was, was uh, oddly enough, not when I first started preaching. When I first started preaching, every Sunday I, I asked God, okay, what do I preach this week? You know, so I'm in Jeremiah, I'm in James, I'm in mm-hmm. Luke, I'm in Ezekiel, you know, I'm all over the place. And and uh, one day early in my ministry, I just, I don't know, it, it struck me. I think Chuck Swindoll struck me as a preacher who just preached through a book. Mm-hmm. And um, and so then I began to think, okay, well, how, you know, the first couple of times I did that, it, the whole series was like, you know, 50, week, 50 weeks on the Gospel of Mark, you know, <laughs> or uh, 25 weeks on the Gospel, on the, the New Testament book of James. Mm-hmm. And so I began thinking of how do I break these down into little manageable series? And so I've, I've been doing that for a long time. So every time I come to a block of text and I'm looking ahead, I'm asking the question, okay, you know, this wasn't intended to be broken into a sermon series, but are there themes here that I can put together? Are Holy Spirit, you know, open my eyes to see some things that the gospel writer or the epistle writer might've been thinking. And I think this is especially true for gospel writers because we, we really believe that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had, a, a an agenda of sorts. You know, I'm trying to say this about Jesus. Mm-hmm. They're not merely chronologies. They're not merely historical, you know, point by point. They're, they're, they have a theology. They have a point they're trying to make. They have an agenda. And we think, I think, you know, Luke's is especially, so is Mark's, but is real discipleship oriented. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit, okay, you know, what's happening in, in Luke 5 and Luke 6? Is there a way to put this together? Mm. And as I'm reading through it on my knees, I'm, you know, just reading through it again and again, just reading, reading, reading. Uh, this, this, this particular time, the, the, that question Jesus asked just struck me. Mm-hmm. And I thought, yeah, that is a good question. You know, why? And I sort of, it became personal for me. Why do I think the way I, th- I think? And, and as I started processing this personally, uh, I thought to myself, you know, everybody has a way of thinking. Everybody has... Um, uh, you know, belief system that they have in, in their minds. And so um, it just began to, to work its way out. And then I thought, okay, how can I take that that concept 
of the, the thoughts that we have, the, the playlist, um, the, the tapes that play. That's an, old, that's an old phrase. People don't play tapes anymore. <laughs> but, you know, I still talk like that, playing tapes. I hear, I hear other people talk about that. But the word soundtrack was just a contemporary word. Plus, I had, I had seen the book by John Acuff about soundtracks. So the sure. idea of, of the things that play in your mind, right. that's kind of what Jesus was asking. Mm-hmm. And so I almost didn't call it soundtracks because I didn't want anyone to think this is a series on John Acuff's book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. Pastors do that. They they pick a book, a secular, you know, a Christian or a secular book, and they preach a series on that book. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how about we preach on the Bible? Yeah. Uh, so, but I, I just I liked the 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 language of that word that, that sure. communicated that we got these tra- these tracks that are mm-hmm. playing in our brain. And, and I th- we're doing all this right now. We're in, I think the thirtieth or fortieth year of a lot of this groundbreaking uh, neuroscience mm. and it's just so popular and every year it bec- you know more and more stuff yeah. comes out and everybody's talking about it in every discipline and it's just always so fascinating to me when you when we make these new discoveries we we can go back into the bible and go they were using that language if you think about it you know way back then when jesus asked mm-hmm. the question why, why are you thinking these things in your hearts he's actually doing it's a neuroscientific question in a way yeah yeah <laughs> when you said 30 or 40 years I, I i thought you might finish the sentence in the gospel of luke but i was like no we're not in it's not been that long not even close not yet uh, but the other thing i was thinking about is thinking back to even my middle school health class mm. i remember getting taught about self-talk mm-hmm. and they used the cassette tape idea, mm-hmm. which I grew up, I still there because I still tapes? had cassette tapes like okay. Mr. Henry, The Adventures in Odyssey, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and so I remember having to flip them and all that sort of stuff. I, I didn't do eight tracks. That was that was before my time. Right. But I had the little ones, and but, so. But you can go all the way back. And we just read some uh, forty-two and forty-three last week in our devotions. Yep. And David reveal self-talk he says to himself why so downcast oh my soul mm-hmm. put your hope in god so he's saying you know he sees he's, he's recognizing i've got these soundtracks of yep. despair and discouragement i'm down and so i'm going to talk to myself and and you know repair that shift that change the mm-hmm. way i'm thinking what's he doing he's right he's thinking about the things he's thinking about exactly so, you know that's a thousand years before jesus mm-hmm. so <laughs> i remember uh a particularly uh, strange vocab word I learned in college was uh, metacognition, <laughs> which is exactly what we're t- thinking right. about what you're thinking about. Right. And it was in my, one of my educational psychology classes. And so they were talking about helping people become aware of what's going on in their minds. Yeah. But and one more thing on this is the way that Jesus identifies, it's not just a, in an intellectual exercise, we need to recognize what's going on in our, not just in our minds, but in our hearts and right. in our, right. the, the deep moments of yeah. what's going that, on. That's the genius of Jesus' question. He could have said, why are you thinking these thoughts in your, in your minds? Mm-hmm. That would have been a very biblical question. It would have fit the, the biblical anthropology then and now. But for him to instead choose in your hearts, yeah. ooh, Jesus is sowing at something. He's saying something there. Yeah, which I found fascinating, and I, and in in the West, when we talk about hearts, we definitely, at least for me, in in my experience, it tends to be um, mostly like a romantic thing, <laughs> or talking about passions. Uh, you know, I, I, like in our shape survey, the H I believe is heart. Yeah. And, and we're talking about your, passion. your passions. Yeah. And and so, you know, passions and romance aren't necessarily the same thing, but related, related. And, and yet, so, so how does that relate to how Jesus is talking about the heart? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jesus recognizes that, as he says in Mark four, you know, that the things that come out of your mouth come out of your heart. So the heart is that central place. Mm-hmm. And it, even if you want to, you know, use uh, some psychology language, they recognize a little bit of that. But you know, the, the heart is that place that, again, from Proverbs four twenty three, it's that wellspring. And yeah. I, I like the old NIV translation of that verse. Uh, everything flows from it is good, but I like wellspring because it's this idea that, like, you know, it's a well. Everything's, you know, just you know, a fountain is coming mm-hmm. out. Yes. And so, you know, guard your heart. It makes sense to say that, and yeah. Jesus recognized that. 
and, and he's getting at, you know, what is the central place in you that produces your your thinking, mm-hmm. your mindset, your worldview, your belief system? You know, everything is is coming from somewhere. Absolutely. And, you know, and they didn't grasp, you know, that as nearly as much. You know, actually, it's kind of funny. Um, the Greeks thought that your emotions and stuff came from your your splankna, which mm-hmm. is the Greek word for uh, one of your intestines and yep. your in your organs <laughs> inside, because <laughs> they recognized you know as, they, as you touch your your abdomen, you know there's something there, mm-hmm. and that's that's where I'm, I'm feeling passion, or that's why I'm feeling anger, or that's why I'm feeling feeling what I'm feeling. So yeah. they attached it to an organ, yep. which is kind of funny. And, and so that when you read it in the Greek and you know what that word splankna means, you're like, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, but in a way, you know, the same thing comes true with the heart. I mean, the heart is an organ, mm-hmm. uh, cardia in the Greek, but Jesus is not referring to the cardia um, uh, in terms of a of an organ, um, mm. an anatomy, a part of our body. He's referring to that center, yeah. that... Um, that produces, you know, so much of what we are yeah. and which n- needs to be converted because the heart is the center. Mm-hmm. Uh, any conversion uh, that doesn't a- attack the heart, a touch the heart is as, what is it? Was it Thoreau who said, you know, it's just hacking at the branches. You're hacking at the leaves if you don't get down to the root. Oh, yeah. yeah. So I can't remember whether that was Thoreau or, yeah, one of those American philosophers. Yeah, I uh, I'm glad you brought up Proverbs four. Is it twenty three? Yeah, yeah. Because f- for me, and maybe for anyone who grew up in the '90s, that verse was only ever used one way, mm-hmm. and it was in the context of usually in high in high school, somebody was asking, you know, but you know, to their to their youth pastor, how far is too far in a relationship? <laughs> okay. And they would bring up fr- Proverbs four four twenty three, yeah. and it's not you know. Maybe that's not so far out of bounds, but I love it. Was it ministered to me the reframing of that? That you know, it's not just that God cares about whether or not you're awakening love in your heart too early, or you know, whatever it would be. And it's not just that God is encouraging you to be protective of your romantic feelings, but mm-hmm. that God wants to recognize that the, what you value and what you believe deeply. You know, because even a couple of weeks we talked about taking things from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge Mm -hmm. when we were talking about getting to know Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that heart knowledge, you need to protect that because that's, that influences so much in your life. Yeah. Those are very similar themes. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, you know, Ezekiel and Jeremiah talk about that when Jesus, when the Messiah comes, when the the new work of God comes, you know, we'll get rid of the heart of stone and Mm -hmm. receive a heart of flesh. It's meaning there'll be a tenderness to God and the things of God. And there's the circumcision of the heart, which is really two fascinating themes <laughs> to be put together. Yeah. Uh, meaning, yeah. A lot more meaningful, I think, to the Jewish mind mm-hmm. uh, than it is the American mind. Yeah, yeah. So how would you how would you reword that in modern terms? Like, would you say the circumcision of the heart is mm. the cl- the cleansing of the heart, the the uh, consecrating of the heart? Yeah, because it's a, it's a circumcision is covenantal language, right? It's not physical cutting language first and foremost. Yeah, it's not heart surgery. Right. <laughs> it's it's covenantal language. So right, right. you know we we talked about this with the the parenting series that mm-hmm. God instituted this as a way of okay, you know, we're going to institute a sign that's going to uh, re- reflect the covenant that we're making. So whenever that circumcision language shows up in the, later on in the Old Testament and then Paul picks it up in the New Testament, it's referring to this this covenant um uh, so the best way to talk about that today, um, mm, vows, maybe vows, um, re, um, you know, redoing your vows. I don't know. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. that's a good, it's a good question. But of course, that's our job is to try to make this language, you know, uh, contemporary to 21st century and then explain language mm-hmm. that, that's, that's maybe initially seen by some people as archaic yeah but it's full of meaning and color yeah and significance could it be and this is a new thought because i know jeremiah also says um that god will write the law on the heart on the heart and the idea there is that rather than the law being some thing that's outside of me mm-hmm. that i have to try to adhere to mm-hmm. it's 
you know, the desire to live in line with God's character is flowing out of yeah. me. So external versus internal. Yeah. It could, that kind of a, yeah. Um, but any, anyhow, maybe, that may be a rabbit trail, even for the cutting room floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it, it's but, uh, even more so because it's not actually in our text. Right. right. It's the text before, yeah. but it's the, it's the, it's the heart of mm-hmm. the series. Right. And um, yeah. And before we move on from some of those remarkable things that you were mentioning, I did, there, there was one thing that really caught my attention, which is this idea of Jesus claiming to be God, okay. which that, that you brought up that yeah. I thought was is awesome. But then I wonder if any listeners also have this question as I've circled back around as an adult and studied the gospels, mm-hmm. reading from a Western perspective and the, you know, a modern perspective, there's a part of me that wants to get to a chapter where it says, and then Jesus said, I am the second person of the Trinity. Uh, and where is that verse? You know, I just want to clarify this for everyone. I, I am God. Yeah. Um, and of course in, in the Jewish mind, one of those verses is, is John eight fifty eight, right? Where he says before Abraham was, I am, mm-hmm. um, that's the, one of the clearest statements, but that would have been crystal clear to the Jews, which is evidenced by, the next verse says they picked up stones to stone him exactly for blasphemy because he claimed to be God. Yep. Uh, but it's, there's a similar thing here uh, when they say, um, whoa, 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 you can't say your sins are forgiven. Only God can say that. And I can just see Jesus smirking. That's the point, guys. It's, it's, I know it's early in the minute in my ministry. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. he does avoid. And of course, we, we know that we, we talked about this before the messianic secret. We have we, we know that Jesus early in his ministry was very careful to uh, look too messianic and for sure to claim anything too messianic because he knew that that they were with such messianic fervor that they would take their understanding of what Messiah was, you know, a, a military leader, a governmental leader, a political leader, and read that into Jesus's use of Messiah, force him to be king, and really sabotage his whole ministry. So wisely, you know, Jesus does not come right out and go, I'm the Messiah, the son of God, you know, I'm the one, the one you've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. But he's little, little hints here and there, just to, enough to cause people to go, I think he might be implying, you know, and uh, just, but never mm-hmm. flat out saying it. Right. And saving that for the last days of his time on earth when, again, he strategically was leading up to the cross when he was making it crystal clear, yes, I am claiming to be, you know, everything that the Old Testament referred to when it talked about the the coming of the Son of Man, where it talked about the the Ancient of Days, Mm -hmm. or it talked about the the Messiah, the Suffering Servant, you know, all those images that Jesus picked up and filled with, that's me, you know. Yeah. Um, So, and then that's, of course, why he was, you know, technically Jesus was murdered. He was um, sacrificed because of blasphemy. He was put to death because of blasphemy, claiming to be God. Um, right. So this is, this is one of those times where everybody in that room was, would have understood uh, that he's making a tacit claim uh, to be God, which is, I, I think, I, I love to talk about that because I think some of these guys that actually liked Jesus, they were like, hey, well, we'll be careful. We, you know, we like you. We like a lot of things that you're saying, mm-hmm. but you just crossed the line. I know you didn't mean to do that because I know you wouldn't dare claim to be God, but you just did. So don't screw this up, Jesus. You know, don't mess things up by claiming to be God yeah, because we, we all know you aren't. Well, yeah, we got a good thing going here. Yeah. You know, can't you just... Uh, of course, I think there was mm-hmm. a number of people like Nicodemus and Joseph of Marathia, who yeah. maybe part of the Sanhedrin, who really liked a lot of what Jesus was saying, but that's also clear to those who couldn't stand him. Yeah, you know? yeah. But... Probably because they grasped what we don't, and that this fool, this pompous, you know, punk is claiming to be, and he knows he's claiming to be God. We got to deal with him. Mm-hmm. You know, if we don't deal with him, we're going to get in trouble with Rome. You know, this is this is to save our own country. Uh, so they, the more Jesus talked like that, the angrier they got. Yeah, yeah. Plus, Jesus was not against. Um, Speaking against the establishment. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And and I think one of the reasons as well, or one of the cool things for me as well, with this framing of soundtracks and then us receiving some of these claims that Jesus is making, some of these statements that he's making, mm-hmm. 
both with his words and his actions, is that Jesus wants us to know mm. who he is. Mm-hmm. And he wants us to know what it is that God thinks about people. Yes. And that because he wants our belief system and our heart to be aligned yes. and to be transformed. And so, um, you know, I, I, th- that's part of the thing I love about this whole belief system language is it helps us to think about what we think about and Mm -hmm. organize it. And you had these four orienting questions, you know, your belief system is about what you think about God and Mm -hmm. what you think about self, what you think about others and what you think about the world around you. And there were some life group questions dealing with that, that we had some fun with. Okay. I had to like, I had to like set a timer practically (laughs) because people were just like, you know, and we had so much to share. We, you know, we didn't have life group this week, so I didn't get, I I wrote the questions, but I didn't get a chance to go through them with anybody. So, uh, by the way, I thought about doing that in pastor's class today. I thought about doing the life group questions. Oh, really? Uh, partly as also as a way to challenge our staff to to lead life groups when we do the excursion. And so if you have forgotten how to do that, let's do that today. Absolutely. Yeah, we're using some insider baseball language. Actually, this Sunday, we're going to be announcing a little bit about some stuff coming up in the fall yep, having yep. to do with an excursion. And yep. so stay tuned. Keep, keep post, yeah, stay posted. <laughs> but But within that... Um, uh, one of the questions, another one of the life group questions you asked and a statement you made at least one of the hours in the sermon had to do with the origin of your belief system. Mm. And, you know, where does a belief system mm-hmm. come out of, yeah. uh, are we born with a belief system <laughs> or, you know, is it a nature versus nurture right. type of stuff? <laughs> so can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, what are the factors that loom large? Well, uh, I love the nature versus nature question. And, and the answer is always both, of course. Right. Uh, it's never either either or. Um, but yes, yeah, just using those that, that language, my belief system uh, comes from um, the, the, the influential people in my life. So first of all, my parents and the culture that they create in the home. Every home has a culture. And then based upon what kind of your family life you're like, if your family life is very... Um, personal, private, internal, then that culture circle is a lot smaller. If your family life is, you know, you're always out in the neighborhood, you know, there's always out playing or, you know, you're, you're always having people in and then that circle is bigger. Um, and so that's the way it's always been, you know, the, the, the village you live in, or let's mean the, the family you're born into the village you live in, those are, those are the culture shapers. And then along with that is the stories that are told in your family, in your village, in your community, whether they're stories told around a campfire 3,000 years ago, hmm. or whether the, the stories we tell today uh, through, you know, the silver screen, you might say, through TV, <laughs> through media, through, through movies. You know, these are massive culture shapers. Hmm. Story is a powerful shaper of culture. And whether we hear it from our parents and our family or whether we are, we see it on the screen, it's, it's shaping us. And, um, music has always, always, it's not, you know, it's not a new thing. I'm not talking about, you know, just the music that's out today. Music has always been a powerful shaper of culture. I, I've used that quote before, but I can never remember who said it, but if, if talking about ancient Greece, I care not who makes the laws of the land as long as I can make its music. Interesting. Because when you when you can write the songs that a generation sings, you are shaping their thinking, their mindset, their philosophy, maybe more so than the professors and teachers are shaping in the classroom. Uh, because we sing a song again and again and again. You know, mm. very few people hear the same lecture again and again. But if you love a song, you might listen to that song five hundred times. Yeah. You know, and and those lyrics are, sh- you know, because they're with a beat and they're with uh, a, a melody that is finding its way into your heart mm-hmm. and into your your neural pathways, and it's shaping you. Yeah, and it's powerful for good or for bad. Absolutely. Um, your your the, the siblings, your your not just your parents, but your family, your friends, um, uh, you know, the teams that you're on, the the church that you're raised in, um. Yeah, so you know all of these things shape your culture, uh, your belief system. A lot of times, before you even have any formal education, that's shaping. And mm-hmm. when I say formal, I don't mean second grade, third grade. I mean 
Now, when do they start talking about belief systems in school? Is it high school? Yeah, it would be like at, at open door Christian schools. It, w- it would be definitely high school. Yeah, so, that, so that's the first time we formally are talking about belief system, but it, it, it is probably already largely shaped mm-hmm. by then. Yeah, you know, and so um, that's that's you know uh, something that parents should be very very keyed into. Mm-hmm. You you have been given these children. And one of the things you're supposed to do is to shape their belief system. And, you know, you look at, at, at parents throughout history as they've, some have ignored that. You know, I don't even believe in that or that's silly or my kid will make up their own mind. Others are so focused on it that they're hyper vigilant about everything that's going to come through the eye gate, the ear mm. gate, you know, of their kid's brain and mind. Um, but I do believe that every parent should be very aware of you know who and what is shaping yeah. this highly um, malleable thing mm-hmm. in a, every human being. Yeah, this palette that's you know that is, is being shaped and painted on and formed. And so, are we? Oh man, there's so many. There's so much yeah, here. I, that opens I, up a lot, doesn't it? Are we? Um, is that? And I know. I don't think this is what you're saying, but I think it's worth asking still. Because I think it'll move the conversation forward again. Is is that to say that human beings are a tabula rasa? <laughs> you know, where some where where you know we come into the world as a completely blank slate, or by no means. Yeah, we when you're here, especially when you're being taught Christian theology, you're being taught a biblical worldview. When you're being taught there is a God, uh, then then you know that's the best way for us to discover the second thing I talked about with the worldview. Who is you know, with biblical, the anthropology question, who am I? Yeah. And I believe the only way you get an accurate understanding of who you are is in light of who God is. Mm-hmm. If you start with man, with human, um, you will always be have distorted views of God, and which will then create distorted views of yourself. Hmm. But if if you can, if you're being shaped theologically by parents that are paying attention to that, and you're getting a biblical worldview, who is God? Then the second question becomes, who am I? And, you know, that therefore necessitates, well, you are, as C.S. Lewis says, a glorious ruin, Mm. which is such a phenomenal two-word phrase, you know, just loaded with meaning. Glorious, Mm. you're made in the image of God. You're a person of dignity. You know, Psalm 8, you're the, the crown of God's creation. You know, the human, wow, amazing. Yeah. Yet. You're not just tainted, you're ruined yeah. by sin. It's, it's ruined, the, you know, so much of what God set into us. Um, and you, 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 you need to have both of these things together to grasp who am I and realize that, you know, even from the time I start thinking, start hearing, it's stained by sin. Mm-hmm. I am, you know, as Jeremiah said, I'm, you know, so sinful from my birth. And so, you know, everything I hear is already distorted. Jeremiah, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can even know it? You know, mm-hmm. so um, that's a very unpopular anthropology today. You know, people would today want to say, no, you, you, you're not hardwired to think sinfully or to think poorly. You're, you're good. Mm-hmm. You're a blank slate, you know, and um, but they actually the people that say that end up talking out of two sides of their mouth. When they want to talk about, you know, other areas like your gender, uh, <laughs> mm, yeah. Uh, so anyway, yeah, yeah, and uh, and that and that's why you know this uh, thinking about what you're thinking about is so significant. Yeah. Is because if we're not careful, we go down these paths that are destructive to ourselves, destructive to our relationship with God. Uh, destructive to our relationship with the world, so on and so forth. And, and especially in this text, what we were looking at is destructive to our relationships with one another. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is providing an example that corrects that. But but before we hop into that and, and how Jesus demonstrated what he thinks about people by his interactions with Levi and by calling him, I wanted to, to ask one more question about belief systems generally, okay. which is... Um, it's actually a quote that you said in your sermon, which was your your belief system is blinding you from what is true and good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think on the one, it, it was a it was a 
two-sided statement. I think you said on the one side, on the one hand, a belief system can clarify and it can help you see the truth and help, can help you guide you. Yeah. But on the other hand, there are times when your belief system is holding you back mm-hmm. and you don't realize it and it's blighting you from things that are good and true. Yeah. Um, about, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, there was a, 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 a movement in America uh, around the word paradigms. Hmm. Uh, and um, a guy named John Baker, I think it was his name was John Baker, was traveling you know, on the, the circuit. And uh, one of his favorite illustrations, and I've used this in a sermon, I think hmm. maybe multiple times, is you, you, th- you, you put pretty quickly up a series of cards. And so, you know, there's the, the red uh, ace, ace of hearts, you know, and all these cards. And then you, you throw in there a black ace of, a black ace of hearts. Mm. And the, the mind, because the paradigm is built by color, you call that an ace of spades, even though it's a heart. You, you know it's a heart, but you, you, the category in your brain is that a black shaped thing like that must be a heart. It can't, you know, it must be a spade. It can't be a heart because everybody knows there's no black heart in a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he does that with several cards and then, then it slows it down slow enough for you to go, Oh my gosh, that, that was an, you know, an ace of uh, a black ace of hearts. And, mm-hmm. but we just can't think that way. So there's these paradigms that affect the way we see reality. And I have always thought that was just a brilliant exercise yeah. to help us, think about what we think about. Mm-hmm. And I almost use that, that, that very illustration <laughs> in this sermon because I think yeah. it's, because I think it's so powerful mm-hmm. that, um, I, my ways of seeing reality can be so deeply encoded and so strongly entrenched in me that I literally can't see what is right in front of me. And you know, of course the perfect example is the Pharisees. Their biblical view of what a Messiah is and what the kingdom of God would look like um, was so um, clear and so cemented and so calcified, you know, in their brain that they couldn't hear and see a a definition of Messiah that didn't fit that. And so, you know, and this is amazing because these are Bible students; these are mm-hmm. the best Bible scholars of the day. And this is my argument for why we need to study that we need to hold all of our beliefs with humility. Study your head off, you know, work hard to, to know your Bible, to think carefully, to construct a healthy systematic theology, work hard to do that, but, but hold it with humility because you are a fallen creature and, you know, you're, we see through a glass darkly and, um, there's some. I think there are some things we're going to find out when we get to heaven that we were so sure about that we're like, oh, I was wrong about that. Mm. And of course, that's a dang, that, that can be a dangerous language because you know, I'm not saying everything is up for grabs. Yeah. But, but I'm saying when you have humility, you're able to relook at what you believe and 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 go, yeah, I still believe that. Yep, that's that's still. Uh, I understand that. That fits with you know my understanding. Uh, you know, I'm resubmitting myself to that. But because the, cause the person that is not willing to look at their belief system is the dangerous one. Oh, I already know what I believe. Um, you might be wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. So if if God's truth is truth, then it can withstand any question, any analysis, any you know attack against it. And so let's not be let's not turn truth into superstition. Let's not be afraid to let truth be examined. And I think, you know, those of you, people like you and I who are preachers, I don't think we need to be defensive. God doesn't need us to defend him. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a place for apologetics, but God doesn't need to be a defended. He will defend himself and his truth will stand on its own. And, you know, again, we need to argue, we need to explain, we need to prove, but uh, we must always... Um, you know, do that with a, a tone of humility. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to believe we've talked on the podcast before about this language of humble orthodoxy. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, and to me, that's what this is bringing yeah, out is, is just that need to um, uh, hold hold things with open hands. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't mean I'm wishy washy. Doesn't mean mm-hmm. I'm, I'm. It's easy to change my mind. 
It's just a, it's a recognition of again back to biblical anthropo- anthropology. I'm I'm fallen, mm-hmm. and, and that's all I'm that's all I'm acknowledging here, is that I'm fallen, you're fallen, and First uh, Corinthians thirteen talks about when the perfect is here. Yeah, well, it's not here yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, and, and yet um, we see this this beautiful and dare I say perfect image in Jesus that Mm. can help us. And so Mm. that's, this is a great place Mm -hmm. for us to look, which was the basis of your sermon. It's looking at how Jesus um, calls Levi, responds to Levi, which Levi and Matthew are, uh, you know, same guy, same guy. And so let's just explain why we believe, why we believe that when you, when you read Matthew and Mark's version of this story, it's exactly the same. It's the tax collector. It's, uh, Jesus saying, follow me. It's the, the, the tax getter now having a, a party, a dinner party. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same story. Um, and it's just, there's just too many details that are exactly the same to, to, to suggest, well, this is a different, different story. No, no, this is the same story. And then when you're like, well, how can it be? There's two different names. Well, think back to how many people's name, how many people in the Bible have two names? You know, Peter, Cephas, Simon, he's got three names, mm-hmm. you know. Um, uh, Paul and Saul. Yeah, you know. Saul yeah. and Paul. And so Saul is the Jewish name, Paul is the, the Roman name. Mm-hmm. But the same thing with, with, with uh, Peter. Uh, Cephas is the Latin name. That's right. Um, yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh, no, wait, no, not that one, not that one. Was... <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, leading a trip to Greece uh, the coming this Sunday, and... We're going to look at on a guy named Silas. You know, mm-hmm. when Paul went on his first missionary journey, it was Paul and Barnabas. His second trip was with was Paul and Silas. Well, this same guy, Silas, has another name. It's Silvanus, mm-hmm. and so Luke only refers to him as Silas. Paul only refers to him as Silvanus. Um, it can be confusing because the NIV knows that, and so the NIV translates the word Silvanus into Silas. Mm-hmm. So you're reading in English and you're like, you know, if you're reading the ESV and I'm reading the NIV, mine says Silvanus. No, mine says Silas. You're still Silvanus. You're like, what, what is it a textual variant? No, it's not a textual variant. It's that the NIV translators have recognized that the name Silvanus is the same guy as Silas. So you, when you start seeing this, then you recognize, okay, the fact that, that Levi is Matthew, it, it's not unusual at all yeah. to have those two names. Yeah. In Matthew's case, in Levi's case, it's not a Jewish name and a Roman name because Matthew is a Jewish name. It comes from Mataniah, um, a name that we actually just read in um, Second Chronicles. He's uh, in the, one of the, the, the tons of names. Mm-hmm. Mataniah is in there. So yeah. Matthew is short for Mataniah. Of course, Levi is, is one of the oldest Jewish names you can find. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Mataniah, not to be confused with metanoia, <laughs> no, no, which no. is uh, <laughs> it's a Greek word. All, we also yeah. talked about that, but uh, yeah. and so as we look at the way that Jesus relates to him, we see um, Jesus is inviting someone that no one else wanted <laughs> to invite. Oh man! And he's he's living life with someone that no one wanted to <laughs> give the time of day. Yeah, it's hard for us to grasp how much he was hated. Yeah. And despised. And I, um, yeah, I, I agree. And yet I, I think that there, um, this is an area where the modern church can grow so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've talked about maybe the, uh, the movie Jesus revolution mm-hmm. before. Have you seen the movie? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. So this, there's a similar thing going on in that movie, but it was it had to do with the hippie movement yep. and the church of, of the seventies. Was this in the seventies? Yeah, and so sixties and seventies, um, you know, the, the hippies maybe were an example of the kind of folks that people were like, no, no way. We're not having them over for dinner. We're not doing that. But they weren't hated like the tax collectors were, but they were, people were afraid of them and weirded out by them and right. they avoided them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right, and and yet Jesus is demonstrating that, um, to use the language from from the sermon, we want to help people belong yeah. even before they believe and behave. Right, and how we have so flipped that, um, and and I think in two ways. But but first of all, 
we want people to look like us, act like us, feel like us. We, we basically want people to be, um, you know, do all the work themselves, get all cleaned up and then come on over because yeah. it makes us uncomfortable otherwise. Yeah. Uh, and that's such a, we had some stories like that come out in a class I taught recently where people were sharing their really, really negative, nasty experiences with the church. Mm. And I tried to use really strong language in responding to them saying, that is such a pitiful representation of what it means to follow Christ. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and to the, to the opposite, Jesus is demonstrating, no, yeah, we, we, we invite people, we want mm -hmm. them to belong because we believe that they can follow yes. uh, and, to, and learn from and become like Christ. Yeah. I, I remember sensing that I, I want to say the Holy Spirit's direction with that point, Jesus believed that um, Levi could follow. Um, that was a significant insight for me. Uh, not just calling him to, but believing that he could follow. Yeah, and I, and I, I think that's a, got an important application to today, because I believe there are people in our church who don't believe that they can follow closely to Jesus. I think they mm -hmm. think that's what preachers do, or that's what you know people who are retired do, or people who've got more time. But I, I, I can't do that and live my busy life, and I. I want to explode that mm -hmm. um, false notion. Or even, and I think there's also people who believe that there's no hope for them in following Jesus because all they'll do is screw it up. Mm -hmm. And one yeah. day they'll yeah. screw up so much that it's, you know, it won't even be worth it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I so appreciate that personally. Um, and I know it's, I can imagine that ministered to a well, lot of folks. And that's not unlike Peter's response mm -hmm. when Jesus does his miracle of the fish and Peter says, Go away from me. Yeah. You know, basically in our language he would say, If you knew who I really was, you would not want number one to be with me, let alone invite me to follow you. Right. Go away from me. Right. You know, it's a it's a it's a similar kind of of thought mm -hmm. there. And so one, a question I want to ask on this, mm -hmm. given Jesus as an example, given this idea of belief systems, how does giving people an opportunity to belong actually help them mm. to change their belief system? Or does it? Is there, you know, is, is belonging an end in itself? Or, or does Jesus know something about being invited to belong? Yeah. Um, that's that's pointing toward a toward a deeper end. Yeah, I love that question. Um, I personally absolutely believe that there's something powerful about belonging mm -hmm. before believing. You know, even secular psychologists have have recognized bunches of them that one of the core needs of a human being is the need to belong. You know, completely leave Christian church. Christian community out, just the pure nature of what it means to be a human being. You need community. You need a sense of family. You need mm -hmm. to belong. Well, this is one of the core messages of Christianity, you know, the family of God, yeah. the kingdom of God. Yeah. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's creating a new community, mm -hmm. a new family. One time people says, your mother and your brothers are out there. And Jesus goes, who is my mother and my brothers? Those who do the will of the Father. You know, so he's, he's re- you know, uh, defining this language of community. And, and I love that Psalm, Psalm 68 that says, you know, God sets the lonely in families, mm -hmm. you know, this, this language of belonging. So I, yes, I really believe that, that because God made us, uh, with a desire to love, to be loved, yeah. a desire to belong. Um, I believe that was a part of him setting us up for the family of God, the kingdom of God because it meets a core need. Yeah. And and especially if if you are like the millions of people who wrestle with self-hatred or who at least believe if you really knew me you wouldn't want me to be loved just for who you are. You know, is so powerful. You know, Paul says in Romans 15:7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. That's a it's a significant <laughs> verse. Yeah. Well, how did Jesus accept me? In all my sin. Mm -hmm. And he knows everything about me. 
And yet he accepted me and said, and welcomed me. So that's how I'm supposed to accept other people. That's pretty powerful. And so when a person feels, you know, I'm, I'm loved for who I am, that feels pretty good. Mm-hmm. Then I think that opens them up to reconsider, you know, what I believed about God or the church or to hear the gospel. Um, you know, this is what we see Jesus doing. He, <laughs> he, he helps people belong, and that's what got him in trouble. You shouldn't have these tax collectors, these prostitutes. We understand the significance of a prostitute. We don't understand the significance of a tax collector. But still today, you know, most people think that a prostitute is a bad job, you know. And what is Jesus doing having people like that hang around him? Mm-hmm. Remember Simon the leper who says to Jesus, if you knew who this woman was and what kind of woman she was, you wouldn't let her, you know, anoint your feet. You know, Jesus is like, I know. I came for people like her, you know? yeah. So yeah. I just I love, and I'm I'm convinced Jesus was absolutely being strategic about welcoming people, accepting them, helping them belong before he expected them to believe, and of course, for sure, expected them to behave. We yeah. need to learn from Jesus. Yes, <laughs> and and one of the things I think that Jesus is demonstrating in that is that he's comfortable with our yeah. journey yeah yeah and our process and he knows that it's a, he knows that there's a beautiful transformation that happens when we commit our lives to him and when we receive his forgiveness but he's comfortable with yeah. he, he knows he's inviting us on an adventure let's let's go back to this text <laughs> let's, let's go look at verse um 29 then levi held a great banquet for jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So let's picture this, this verse 29. Mm-hmm. What's the look on Jesus's face as he is sitting amongst all of these sinners and tax collectors? Is he nervous? Is his face uptight? Is he like, I don't want anyone to see me? Is he like, you know, I don't really hang out with these people? Or is Jesus laughing and having the time of his life completely at home with all of these people who who are just, you know, sinners and tax and the worst riffraff? I picture Jesus completely at home. He's relaxed. He's comfortable. I, I feel like I belong here, which is, you know, that whole, he's the friend of sinners which mm-hmm. was meant to be a put down, but Jesus received it as a badge. You know, I, I think that's a, a powerful exercise to imagine the look on Jesus's face yeah. as he's sitting in there. Cause a lot of Christians would be like, uh, I am so uncomfortable. I don't, I'm not used to being around with all these people that are, you know, sinners. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> sure. And that, so then the, the other side of, of the coin here, I think, um, I think that there are some people who believe who don't feel like they belong, mm-hmm. even though they believe. Mm. Yeah. And that's true and sad. And I, 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 you know, this is one of the things that kind of keeps me up at night as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm like, how can we, mm-hmm. you, you know, they believe that they're invited into the family of God, but as like a, someone who needs to go stay in a closet somewhere or someone who's to be kept at arm's length where they, they're like grandfathered in on a technicality, but that they're not yeah. actually invited as they are. And frankly, I think one of the causes of that clay could be that they haven't heard good teaching and preaching on belong before you believe they came to believe in a worldview in a Christian belief system that taught you've got to believe before you can belong. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that actually cripples community. If you don't grasp the significance of Jesus's message, you can belong before you believe. Then after you believe, you may struggle with belonging. And I think that's what you're talking. That's a little bit what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, and if we were to really dig down deep in that, might we find a little works righteousness? Might we find a little, um, you know, teaching that is really not a biblical concept? Yeah. Um, because when you've really been ambushed 
by grace mm. and it has blown you away, you know, and you realize why I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That is revolutionary. That's why we talk about conversion and not just, you know, becoming a Christian. Your heart is converted yeah. by the, the Holy Spirit applying that grace, and you are blown away by mm-hmm. the fact that He loves you and, has a, and accepts you, and that, you know, it has a converting power of its own, yeah. which then should set you up to open your arms to everyone else because grace has ambushed you so completely. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, you, you already referenced this scripture, but love as Christ has loved you, mm-hmm. or, you know, we love because he first loved us. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And so then the last, the last question I want to kind of f- focus in on a little bit is it has to do with um, this idea of what what I think people view as a great barrier mm. to other people feeling that they belong, which is that pesky thing called the truth. Um, <laughs> that pesky thing. And I, I love, I loved how in your sermon, you, you demonstrated, you were very careful to demonstrate that Jesus is not watering down mm. the message of repentance. Mm-hmm. He has no qualms in front of this group of tax collectors mm-hmm. of saying, I have come for the sick yep. and you, you see them flocking to me. You know, mm-hmm. he, he doesn't say that, but I, I've come to heal the sick. Yeah. And, and, and I've come for the unrighteous and, uh, you know, Jesus isn't worried about them hearing that truth come out of his mouth. He's not afraid that it's going to drive them away. And so uh, the question I want to ask is in the interest of helping people to feel that they belong before they have all the right answers, Mm -hmm. how do we know when to, and it's a hard question to ask, how, how do we know when to it's not withholding the truth, mm-hmm. but maybe when to hedge mm-hmm. or when to say, hey, you know, that's a good question. Maybe we should talk about this later <laughs> yeah. uh, or versus when to say the, the hard truth or when to ignore, you know, a sin issue in a person's life who's just mm-hmm. exploring Jesus and when to address it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, before I answer that, I remember being I was so impacted by in the same story that illustrates Jesus's radical belonging before you believe, his radical acceptance, um, his his revolutionary um, welcoming of people in the exact same story. He is so crystal clear about sin and calling it a sickness. When mm. I saw that in this text, I, I worshipped. I just I just said, Jesus, I love you. I remember feeling so blown away by that those two truths showing up in the same passage mm-hmm. you know it's obvious in john 118 jesus came full of grace and truth there we go grace and truth but here it's illustrated yeah you know it's just like in john uh is it john uh in nine no john eight where the the woman who's caught mm-hmm. in adultery and you know jesus says you know where are your accusers you know you know I, I, neither do i go and send no more it's grace and truth, you know. So I, I like it spoken, and like John Wendy, I also like it illustrated. And uh, I had never seen that before in this text, that this one text had both of those concepts. So it was so significant to me. But how do we know, you know, when to major on the truth? Because we're not going to not tell the truth, but how do we know when we hold back and don't or not as as strong and and this may sound like a simplistic answer but this to me argues for why we need to be spirit-led people absolutely because i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know i'm i don't i might think this is a time to let the truth out and i could be dead wrong i must be led by the spirit i must be expecting to be led by the spirit i must be tuned in i must be carrying on this conversation and, and i i can't just be doing it when i'm around these kind of people I gotta live. I gotta practice this. I gotta practice listening to the spirit. So when I'm in a moment where I can love someone really well, I don't want to screw that up. Mm-hmm. Because if what they need in that moment is gentle, clear truth, I want to speak that as lovingly and as clearly 
and as gently as possible. If what they need in this moment is not another repetition of the truth, uh, well, let's, let's get let's get this real practical. Um, sometimes people will ask me. In fact, I had this conversation with after the, I, I just remembered I had this conversation with someone after the service uh, where they were saying, "I feel like at my job when there no one's a Christian, I have to always make sure that they know that you know the gay lifestyle is." unbiblical it's not it's wrong and what i hear you saying is maybe i don't have to always say that and i said that's exactly right especially people who are close to you like family members or others who are close when they know that what your position is because you stated it not because if it's implied but you've stated it you know the bible doesn't support that or the bible doesn't say that or this is what the bible says once they know that more than likely, they probably will never forget that. They don't mm-hmm. need to be told again and again. Don't forget the Bible's against homosexuality. They don't need to have that hammered again and again. And I think once they know that's your position, when you continue to show them love and attention and grace, that makes that love all the more powerful because they're expecting you to remind them. You know, the Bible's against that. You know, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. They know that, you know. Now, I understand some people don't know that and they or they don't believe it. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the people who, who you've either said it to them or they've heard it at their church or they've heard it somewhere and you know they know that. I say to you, when you love them unconditionally, that love is so powerful mm-hmm. because they're expecting a hammer. They're yeah. expecting to be smashed with the truth again. And instead, you just freely love them. You enjoy being with them. And, you know, I, I don't see Jesus preaching about sin to, you know, all the time. Uh, I, I actually see him talking more about sin to the Pharisees mm-hmm. and the scribes. Um, now, Jesus is not soft on sin. He talks about it. But um, so to wrap up my answer, I, I, I believe that, that, that love has some of its greatest power when it, it where people are expecting to be hammered. Yep. And I I also believe that the Holy Spirit will lead us to say just the right thing. And whether it's parenting or whether it's friendship or whether it's flat out evangelism or, or whether it's, you know, street relationships, whatever it is, mm-hmm. we must be led by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, um, I'm, a, I'm the kind of person who feels principles very strongly. Mm-hmm. Like I have principles important to me. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I've learned is that if I'm confronting someone on principle or if I'm saying something on principle versus saying it out of love or that's been prompted by love, that's a that's a, not necessarily a sign that I shouldn't be saying it, but it's a sign for me to pump my brakes and, mm-hmm. and seek the Spirit and say, Lord, mm-hmm. is this something that I'm just upset about? Yeah. Or is this something that you are leading me to yeah. to speak into because of a, con- a genuine love and concern for that person? And, and this, I need to take another step further. For the people who are like you, you know, what I said you know, is, is I think very helpful and hopefully, hopefully, and, and I think powerful, but there's a whole nother group of people who are, have never spoken the truth to a person mm. who are actually copying out and who are, are, you know, you know, they'll, they'll recognize what I believe by, by, by the way I love. Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> you, you need to give a witness. You need to speak the truth. And so there are a whole group of people who have never spoken the truth. And they're actually hiding behind just being loving, and that's that's not biblical love because you know right. biblical love is is speaks the truth. It um, they're hiding behind being nice. They're hiding behind so being see, nice yeah. and civil. Yeah, yeah, which is not a fruit of the spirit. <laughs> uh, kindnesses, but yes. uh, yeah, yeah, I totally I totally agree. And so it's it's hard because we're living in a society that's so explosive uh this i think this is a particularly difficult uh thing to approach well because you're you're 
it's so easy to hedge too much on the side of, well, I don't know if I, I, I might as well just not say it mm-hmm. or too much on the side of, well, they need to, if, if, if I don't say it, then how, you know, they're not going to hear it. it. Both of those uh, can, you know, it's, it's just finding the right tool for that moment. Mm-hmm. But as long as it's motivated by love, yeah. um, that's, I think that's huge. Uh, because ultimately we want people to, whether we're confronting them with the truth of their sin or confronting them with the truth of, or, and then confronting them with the reality of forgiveness, yeah. the goal is that they would feel, um, an invitation yeah. into the family of God, uh, by the, by and the power then, of the spirit. And, and in, in the meantime, the more we can play Jesus and soundtrack in our minds, the more we're going to be ready for mm-hmm. that moment with that neighbor, with that person, with that, that person that we're loving. Uh, I, I just, there, there are so many Christians who've got the wrong soundtracks playing in their brain. Mm. And, um, you know, for all, we can, we can make a whole podcast about that. I know we're out of time, but you know, there's a lot still to be said about the, the, the tapes that play, the soundtracks that play and, and how, <laughs> part of the conversion, part of the washing of the water of the word is having the soundtracks of Jesus playing in our mind mm-hmm. or, or, you know, the soundtracks of scripture, like, yeah. you know, like Philippians four, whatever is good, whatever is lovely, whatever is beautiful, whatever is pure, think on these things, you yes. know, um, let those soundtracks play yeah. in your mind and rewrite neural pathways mm-hmm. and, and, and wash out the, the lies that we believe, the self-hatred that, 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 that you know, ruins us and, and replace our soundtracks with Jesus's soundtracks. Absolutely. Yeah. I, one super clear example that comes to my mind when we're talking about using the soundtracks of Jesus to rewrite sinful neuropathways in our mind when it comes to how we see and think about others mm-hmm. is um, the, the issue of lust. Mm-hmm. And teaching that I've had that was so helpful that wants to recognize when you see some, a person and lust after them, not only are you objectifying them, mm-hmm. you, I mean, it's just the, the, the narrative that's playing in your mind implicitly about that person mm-hmm. is dehumanizing to yes. them and it's dehumanizing to you. And so an antidote to that is not just to close your eyes mm-hmm. as as much as it is to you know, try to have no narrative. You know, that's not the antidote. The antidote is to say, wow, that is a person who bears God's image, who is worthy of dignity. And I can recognize their beauty and I can do it in a way that's respectful and is, is dignifying and all these sorts of things. I don't know where I heard this or whether it was was the Holy spirit helping me with lust. But, um, one of the, the most helpful things I've ever done is when I'm tempted to lust is to remind myself that girl, that woman, is my sister and God's daughter. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I would never think a lustful thought about my sister. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like what you know. But uh, you know, I am tempted to believe have lustful thoughts after some some woman I don't even know. So mm-hmm. for me to think of her, that's my sister. Yeah, and even more powerful, that's God's daughter. It's like ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just it just helps me, uh, so I'm not tr- tr- trying to exercise willpower because willpower is not strong enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I need is truth to reframe the way I'm looking, yep. and to think of her as God's daughter and my sister. That helps me reframe. I'm good. Absolutely, yeah. and that and that's just one example of how how adopting Jesus's view yep. of people. Yep. I, I mean, and that's super practical. Yep. You know, for for many many folks. Yep. So. Yep. Uh, yeah. So as we sort of in closing, Jim, what's one thing that you have on your heart for our congregation as you're preaching the sermon? <laughs> oh, one thing? Uh, yeah, I think I've just already said it, that that we would uh, intentionally play the soundtracks of Jesus, mm-hmm. whether they, we, we use those sayings from the, from the, the sermon points or whether we were to literally pull verses out of the, you know, out of the, out of the text, either, either way that we are intentionally um, letting the soundtracks of Jesus 
shape and our thinking and our 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 believing mm-hmm. and our seeing. What what that's just called spiritual formation. That's, yeah. that's all that is. Um, and that's that's one of my biggest and you you too. That's one of our biggest jobs as pastors is to pray for, to preach for, to believe for, to teach for, to hope for. You know what Paul said in Galatians was it Galatians six twelve or six nineteen. I am at pains until Christ is formed in you. Mm-hmm. That's a pastor speaking, you know, and that's mm-hmm. the way I feel about our people is, is I am at pains until Christ is formed in them. Yeah. Well, one of those ways is for the, the soundtracks of Jesus to play in our minds and to shape us and to form us. Yeah. So Amen. That's where I would probably, yeah. That's my answer. Amen. Yeah. May, and may we be a people who see and love well yeah. and who, yeah. Amen. Who see people the way that Jesus sees them? Um, it's a part of following Jesus that doesn't get talked about enough. Mm. You know, we we talk about following Jesus in so many ways. How about we start following him in the the way he treated people and the things we think about people? Yeah, and, yeah. So I, I better stop because I'll start getting <laughs> talking yeah. some more. Yeah, there will be more time. There will be more <laughs> episodes. And so until then, we will. Not for me. Yeah. I only have one more shot at the soundtrack series. I'm going to be. Gone the next two weeks leading that discipleship trip to Greece. It's true. And then I get, I get one more shot at yeah. the soundtrack series. And, and then uh, mm-hmm. then we go into what's your next step? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking forward to all that. And so if you're, if you're uh, making it to this end of the podcast, we want to thank you so much for listening with us and for joining in on this conversation. And, yep. and we pray that it's a blessing to you, but also... You know, just want to continue inviting you into this. Uh, we want to help you think through things. And so if there's questions that you have as you're you know, maybe on Saturday night, you're opening up Luke chapter five and you're writing down questions. Well, send those in. Mm-hmm. You know, we would love to study the text with you. Or maybe as you're listening to the sermon or our, you're unpacking it in life group, you guys come up with a question that you're throwing around and it's just it's it's bothering you or it's exciting you. Send that in. You can yeah. you can email that to us at podcast at opendoor.tv and we would love to uh to you know throw that around with you and uh and and speak into that conversation because we want this to be an opportunity for our church to ask questions together and to have dialogue. So that's if that's you, send in those questions. We love we love that. Mm-hmm. Uh but uh in any at any rate, we will be back yeah. next week. See you soon. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.